Good morning. Awesome. I, uh, I was really excited when Pastor Greg got up and started encouraging you because I feel it really set the table for the message today. And I love it when we can have that experience in worship and in exhortation and encouragement uh, because we know that the Holy Spirit's going to do a great work uh, meeting needs. And I believe that he's actually going to use many of you, maybe even today or this week, to fill needs for other people. And so that's exciting. Uh, church family, we have been in an annual theme for quite some time talking about salvation. And the specific theme that we've been in the last couple months is we've been talking about demonstration, the demonstration of salvation, uh, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit resonating up through the life of a believer. And so that is what we are talking about right now annually and a little bit more recently in our church. Specifically this morning, I wanna talk to you about God moments. God moments. And maybe even as I say that, God moments, you might be thinking, Peter, what is a God moment? How would you define that? What's a God moment? Some of you might prefer the description, a divine appointment. Maybe that's similar to that. Uh, I couldn't quite grab a hold of divine appointment this week. And it's probably because whenever something God-inspired happens, uh, something kind of God-ordained or this aha, wow moment, my wife and I both, we will call it, we'll say, that was a God thing. Or we'll say, wow, that was a God moment. Uh, Chantel will be like, did you catch that, Peter? What just happened, what we just experienced, God meant that to happen, he was in that. So we catch wind of something God-inspired and we say that's a God moment. Uh, now if I could try to define that for you, a God moment may be like a coincidental encounter that has actually been caused by God. Uh, the purpose of that encounter may be obvious while it's happening, maybe not, maybe it'll come up sometime later and you'll understand, hmm, that's what was going on there. But it's like a window of opportunity where God will steer you into an experience so that you can serve him, so that you can help someone else, maybe you can be blessed yourself. It's like bumping into a stranger and having the chance to encourage them or to pray for them. It's like having a little extra money and then meeting somebody who has a very specific need. Uh, it's like praying for direction or something to happen and then the next day, maybe the next week, sometime soon after, you receive a specific word of wisdom or advice or the opportunity that you were looking for comes up for you. But you need to pay attention, hey? You need to pay attention to God moments. You need to be tuned in to what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in any given moment. We're going to talk about that. Or you could miss the very thing that God is wanting to do in you and through you. Uh, a God moment happened for Chantel and I when we were out shopping. I think God moments happen when you're shopping. God interrupts that. Uh, we were on 137th Avenue in Edmonton. It was just down past the Cineplex. And on the left-hand side there, there's a whole bunch of shops and I think it must have been a date night because the kids weren't with us. And parents, you know what I'm talking about. The kids weren't with you. And so there was this sense of freedom. And you could move. And you weren't carrying diaper bags and car seats and strollers. You could actually get where you wanted to go. And so we went to Starbucks. Oh, there's a Starbucks right there. We walked through some of the stores that have beautiful furniture and artwork. And we love walking through those stores. We often don't buy anything, but we enjoy browsing in those stores. And it was getting late, and we began making our way back to our car when we were interrupted. Somebody began calling out at us loudly, hey, excuse me, excuse me, hey, 
And he's this guy, we catch eyes with this fellow, and this really rough character is stumbling toward us quickly. And he was the kind of guy that had we been in our car, this happens sometimes when we're driving downtown, uh, we'll be driving through an area where Chantel won't feel safe, and she'll say, oh, Peter, lock the doors. <laughs> Any other wives like that? Is it just my wife? Oh, Peter, lock the doors, lock the doors. But we weren't even at the car yet. We couldn't lock the doors. We weren't in the car. And so we catch eyes with this guy, and he's wearing shabby clothes, and he looked like he needed a shower. And when he knew that he had our attention, he said, listen, you look like some really nice people. Do you suppose you could spare some change tonight? And I remember that he was really goofy. He kind of laughed to himself and he said with a big smirk on his face, you probably think I'm gonna use it for drugs or for alcohol. And he laughed to himself and he said, well, let me be honest with you, I might do that. And I remember it threw me off because I was like, I can really appreciate this guy's honesty right now with me. And that's actually what he said. He said, I think so many people like me are being dishonest about that. I figure it's better just to put it out there and be honest about it. Are you able to help me out tonight, you two nice people? And I was not in pastor mode. Man, I was not in Christian mode. I was not even in nice guy mode. I was, I was a little bit perturbed. And I, I wanted to finish my coffee in the car. I wanted to get on with my date. And to, to tell you the truth, I actually didn't have any change on me at all unless I was going to give him my credit card. And that wasn't going to happen. So I was already like two, three feet walking away, anticipating that my wife was following me. And then I look back and I hear Chantel's voice. And I hear her say, hey, do you know Jesus? And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Chantel totally showed me up. She totally showed me up. And, but when she said that, hey, do you know Jesus? I was suddenly jolted back into a mindset where I could actually take the time to care for this guy. And so we did, we took time. We took a few minutes and we talked to him. We found out that he had been raised in the Catholic Church. He had fallen away as a child. Uh, but we told him, hey guy, like God loves you. He does have a plan and a purpose for you. And then we actually spent some time and we just prayed for him and we encouraged him. And we prayed that the, he would have uh, the power to respond to the Holy Spirit in his life and to make good choices and that he would have enough to meet his needs and not his need for a high or a buzz, but his need for a home and a family. And then we parted ways and we went back to the car and the whole way home, Chantel and I talked about this man, and we talked about other people in our world who are desperately trying to get a fix, their next fix, but who need a solution that is actually so much greater, so much more life-changing and powerful. Church family, I don't think it's a bad thing when we give money to people. Um, hopefully they're not gonna use it on drugs and alcohol, but I don't think it's a bad thing when we give money because I've done that before. But when you look at our world today, and not just people who live on the street, but people who live in houses like yours and like mine, but maybe they struggle with their jobs or they're disconnected from their spouses or they have a hard time with the kids or they're in debt, you name it. Everyday, ordinary people, it becomes evident that all of us, not just street people or you can fill in the blank, all of us need God. All of us need a God moment, a God encounter, something that goes beyond quick fixes that we believe will make things better. There's no denying that we need practical things like money, 
But what I know to be true is that Jesus offers us so much more than easy remedies, so much more than temporary solutions, more than things that just get us by. He goes right to the heart of the issues that we face and he addresses our deepest needs. How many of you know that? That's true for Christ. But often it requires that we change our perspective and that we believe for bigger things, for better things, for transforming things. Uh, Rick and I were talking about this message and I like the way he put it. He said, God moments can become defining moments. God moments can become defining moments uh, when you believe God that way. Today I wanna read a story from Acts chapter three. And it's about Peter and John meeting a crippled beggar on their way up to the temple. And some of us might actually relate best with Peter and John, the idea that God wants us to be quicker to respond to him as needs come up. Some of us may relate more to the beggar. I'm gonna talk about that toward the end of my message. And we might learn that God has so much more. Come on, he has so much more than what we're asking for, the things that you're begging him for, praying for. And I'm hoping that all of us will leave today knowing that God moments can be an everyday reality not just a random and a rare occurrence, they can happen all the time because he's always working. Come on, he's always moving. He's always wanting to do a great work in your life and through your life. So let's pray and then we're gonna read Acts chapter three. Hallelujah. God, I thank you that this morning represents opportunity for a God moment. Lord, I pray for just a window of opportunity where you will steer us right now over the next half hour, God, into an experience where your Holy Spirit can work and move and shift things and change things and fill up needs, God. Lord, I pray for a real power encounter with your Holy Spirit where people will go home and say, that was a God moment today. Wow. And I'm going to take that with me into my week and into my month and, and into my life ahead. And so I bless your church with that kind of an encounter this morning morning in Jesus name and everybody said amen all right Acts chapter 3 in verses 1 to 10 I'm only going to read it once and it's going to be on the slide but you can open it in your Bible you can pull it up on your phone on your Bible app verses 1 to 10 it says one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer it was about three in the afternoon now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he pulls him up, he helped him up. Instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, he began to walk, and then he went into the temple courts with them, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting. We just talked about prayer meeting. That's cool. Uh, They're excited to encounter God, and the way that I imagine this story is they want to be on time for church. 
and so I imagine that they're rushing, they're, getting, they're in a hurry to get to service, and they're interrupted. The voice of this crippled beggar calls out, he's always there on the way up to the temple, and he asks them for money. And although many people probably ignored that annoying voice of the beggar who was always there, Peter and John stop. And this is, a, this is a very particular part of the story. They look him straight in the eye and they immediately caught wind of a God moment that was about to happen. Holy Spirit wanted to use them right then and there to do something life-changing for this crippled beggar. We're gonna recap more of the story as we go along. But let me tell you what I like about this first part. It is amazing to me that these guys, Peter and John, were ready. They were ready at a moment's notice. God wants you and I to be ready to respond to him. Always ready. I mentioned earlier that when I was on a date with Chantel, I had my Starbucks and we were looking through stores how I was not ready to respond. And it's not as though God can't use you when you're sipping coffee and out shopping. He wanted to use me. But the issue was that I had chosen when that rough looking guy asked me for money that I didn't want to be inconvenienced, I didn't want to give him money, I didn't want to stop and encourage him and pray for him like my wife did. But Peter and John, they stop. They stopped what they were doing, they risked being late, and they took time to listen, to care, to pray, and to believe for a miracle. So my first point for us this morning is that I believe that God wants us to live ready. He wants us to live ready to be used by him. What does it mean to live ready? I think there's such power in those words. When I think about what it means to live ready, I don't think about a person who's barely getting by, someone who's tired and grumpy and angry and disappointed in life. I don't think about someone who's too busy, who's too preoccupied with meetings and phone calls and text messages and their kids and going to the gym and you fill in the blank that they cannot even catch wind of it. They cannot even see the moments where God wants to use them. And church, I'm not saying that we always need to feel good, that we always need to feel happy, that we should always have clear schedules, but all the things in life, they can either take us away from the moments that God places before us, or they can actually be windows. They can be opportunities to press through and to respond to what God wants us to care about. Amen? Sometimes on my busiest day in the office, and this, I'm sure this happens to you too, but sometimes on my busiest day in the office or when I'm just trying to get home from work and my wife will call me and say, Peter, I need you to stop at Sobeys, pick up some milk or some bread. God will always get me into a conversation when I'm just trying to get home or when I'm just trying to get some work done. Uh, He'll use me to encourage someone or to listen to somebody who needs somebody to care. And when I think back on that moment, You know, when I'm going to bed and I'm reflecting on my day, oftentimes I think about that as the most productive moment in my day. When I stopped, even for those few minutes, I made a difference in somebody's life. I made somebody smile. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm trying to be a person who's not always complaining about how busy I am. Am I the only one who does that? People ask me, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, oh, I'm so busy. I have so much going on. Mrs. Egri and I have talked about this before, but we've talked about how being busy isn't so much a lifestyle as it is an attitude. You know you can have a busy attitude 
and I'm not saying your life isn't busy, it, it probably is like mine, but you can have a busy attitude. And for me, I say to myself, and I say it a lot, although I'm working on it, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And then I hyperventilate myself, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. But then I realize I don't just have a busy life, I have a busy mind. And I've convinced myself through repetitive thinking and believing that I don't have time. And so when these kinds of things come up, a beggar calling out, hey, I need some money, I convince myself that I don't have time to care or I don't have time for the things that really matter. The analogy that comes to mind is like a car that's redlining. Have you ever heard that term before? A car that's redlining? You know when you rev that engine up so hot, so high, that it reaches that red zone on the odometer? It's redlining. And you can be in neutral, and you can punch that gas pedal to the floor, and you cannot go anywhere at all. And you can cause significant damage to that engine. You can burn it out without accomplishing anything at all. I believe that we live in a society like that. That is actually the way that our culture is. Uh, People are revved up. People are mentally and emotionally stimulated. And they get to the end of their day and they say to themselves, did I even accomplish anything today? I get that way, Chantel, what'd you do today? I don't know, I did a lot of stuff. I don't know if I accomplished anything. And so slowing down your schedule could be good, but more to the points of my message, I just believe slowing down your mind is a good way to live ready. And prayer is an amazing way to do that. And that could mean going to prayer meeting. You should go, it's awesome. But it could also mean developing a habit, an attitude of prayer. Imagine if we changed an attitude of busyness and we replaced it with an attitude of prayer where you whisper to God in and throughout your day, Lord, I need you to help me. God, I need you to be with me today. Lord, I need you to use me today. I don't know if I'm going to step into a moment and it's going to be a God moment, but being someone who lives ready requires that you ask God, God, what do you want to do in the midst of the things that I want to do? And if you'll pay attention to that moment, you'll realize that he is working while you're working. He is going where you're going, and God is just being himself. He's just being his powerful, creative, compassionate, life-giving self when you are just being yourself. It's okay to be yourself. Be yourself. Go to work. Hang out with your kids. Go to the gym. Be yourself. But you are not the best version of you when you're not prayed up and when you're not energized by the Spirit of God. I know this for myself. I am a lesser and more miserable and tired and inactive version of me when I am completely numb to God, completely unaware of his power and presence at work in my life. And if that's you, you're not, you're not living ready. You're probably just getting by. <laughs> you're not living ready. You're just getting by. Our story said Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. Here's what I think is cool about that. I think that they were already there before they got there. They were already there before they got there. They were prayed up before they got to prayer, and so there was a readiness. There was a readiness to stop and to help the crippled man. What I also love about Peter and John, and I know I I slowed down when I read this, when we read the text, but they looked straight at him. Did you catch that? Other translations say they looked him straight in the eye. Another one says they looked at him intently. 
I think they knew that God cared about him. Have you ever been in, uh, to the mall and noticed that there are a whole lot of busy and fast-moving people? I'm shocked sometimes how fast people can walk in the mall. <laughs> and they walk with their heads down and their eyes fixed. And their eyes in, in some place like West Edmonton Mall, they're not fixed on people, they're fixed on places. They're looking toward the next place that they want to go. But you would never guess that in a busy mall that somebody would have the time to stop and to smile and to look at you and to give you their full attention. In our culture, we would think that's creepy, right? Uh, I was shopping a few weeks ago, and I was shopping uh, with my family, and Chantel was off at a service desk or something, and I was waiting with Abria and Isla, my two oldest. Abria's four and Isla is two, and I put them down in this little mechanical car, a little car that you put coins in, and a ways off, I noticed this elderly gentleman, he's moving, and suddenly he stops, and he's just looking at my girls. He's looking at Abria and Isla, and I'll be honest, I actually was creeped out. I was like, why is this old guy staring at my girls? This is so weird. And so I smiled and kind of waved and thought, all right, buddy, like, you know, <laughs> move on. But then I got even more unnerved when he begins beelining for us. He starts walking toward us, and I'm like, what's he going to do? What is he doing? And then as he got close to me, he put his hand in his pocket, and he pulled out a toonie, and he put it in the little car. And the little car started moving, and Abria and Isla's faces went, <gasps> and they started giggling, and they looked at me and said, Dad, why do you never do this? Right? <laughs> but, because Daddy's cheap, okay? That's a theme that's coming up in this message. Yeah, but anyhow, this guy was awesome. This guy was awesome. He looks at me, and he's got a face full of whiskers, gray beard, and he smiles, his big grin, and he says, little kids make me so happy. They make me so happy. And then I got a big cheeky grin on my face, too, because he sure made me happy. But he blessed my kids. Did you know that God wants us to be ready to give attention to other people? He does. The greatest gift that you can give to somebody is your full attention, is your time, is care for them. You'll see good things when you look at people intently, uh, like the elderly man looking at my girls and seeing them smile and giggle on that little car. But sometimes, like Peter and John, when you look at people intently, you're going to see some tough things. You're going to see brokenness, and you'll see hurt. But most of all, and this should be the case because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you should see somebody that God loves with a deep and powerful love, and you should care about that. But it starts with being ready, ready to respond at a moment's notice. What happened next in our story? Peter and John not only give the man their attention, they commanded the man to give them his full attention. I'm going to talk about that at the end of my message. But then Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, they pull him to his feet and a miracle takes place. This is cool. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. That is awesome. Again, I imagine that these men were busy. They were leaders in the early church, Peter and John. But again, they were prayed up. They were aware of God. They were ready to serve. And that led them to look at the crippled man intently and to care. 
But then, this is my next point. They gave the man more than he needed. They gave the man more than he needed. And as I, just, as I prayed on that, and as I, as I just let that resonate in my heart, I felt God say to me this week, don't give a little when you can give a lot. Don't give a little when you can give a lot. You know, Jesus talked about that attitude in his ministry. He said things like, if anyone asks you to go with them one mile, go with them for two. If anyone wants to take your shirt, give them your coat. Church, I was praying into this this week, and I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, we owe the world a God encounter. We owe the world a God moment. Wow. And dare I say it, that that kind of a moment could be miraculous for somebody. It could be supernatural for somebody. It may be that you pray for somebody who is sick. We pray for a lot of sick people. That happened in this story, and we should believe for healing every single time that we pray for somebody who is sick. But what if it's just a word of encouragement? Hey, that could be supernatural for somebody who is down and out and depressed and feeling like there's no hope left. Pastor Matt talked about friendship recently, and again, your time, your attention, your kindness, your care, those things with the Holy Spirit all over those things, those can be miraculous to your friends. Those can be miraculous to even complete strangers that you meet in Sobeys. I think about Peter and John on their way to prayer meeting, and I mentioned that they were energized by the Spirit of God, but I want you to know something. It wasn't only that day that Peter and John were energized, because in the previous chapter, the Holy Spirit came at this event called Pentecost. And Peter and John and about 120 believers are meeting in this upper room, and they are filled with God's Spirit. They are supercharged. They had fresh vision. They had focus for the things of God. And, and as I was thinking about that and praying into that this week, I was just like, God, fill my church. Fill this church. Fill all of us with your Spirit. I don't know if any of us could comprehend just how influential our church would be if we just tapped into that power power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's life, not just in us corporately as a body, but inside of you. Sometimes when somebody does a good job, like a pastor sharing a message, uh, we put language to that and we say, you're anointed. Oh man, that was anointed. It's a very Christian thing to say. But it's like saying, uh, Holy Spirit is all over you, man. Holy Spirit is all over you. There is an ability on you that is actually more than your ability. There is an influence on you, and it's more than your influence. There is an impact taking place, and it's somehow more than just you making the impact. Wow, wow, wow. And I say that to say, church, it is not just pastors who are anointed. We gotta stop saying that. You are anointed. You are all anointed. You are anointed to give, to fill needs, to do more than you ever thought was possible because you have received the Holy Spirit. You are energized by the Spirit of God. And so there's a responsibility on you. Don't give a little when you can give a lot. Don't give a little when you can give a lot. You owe the world, your neighbors, your friends, complete strangers, a God moment. And so come to prayer. Come to church. Read great books. Listen to great messages. Worship albums. Hang out with great people. Go to care group. Get full of the life of God. And then give it away. Amen? Get full of the life of God and then give it away. Uh, some of you 
and I know sometimes we don't like it when we talk about this, but some of you may be able to give more financially than what you're giving now. That's just one example. And uh, again, I feel like this story is going to make me look cheap. I didn't think about this. Um, <laughs> but we were, Chantel and I were at a mission supper. We were at a mission supper, and after the meal, the missionary gets up, and he asks us to support his ministry, and he told us all kinds of great stories, and he showed us great slides, and he had planned these trips all over the world, and I had a number in my head and that I felt comfortable with, but I thought, like any good husband, I should lean over, and I should see what my wife is feeling, and so I lean over to Chantel, and she whispers in my ear a number that is 10 times greater <laughs> than the number that I had in mind. Let me tell you, I was like, I was just thinking we should cover our meal here, honey, but she's like, no, we are going to support this guy. And I almost fell off my chair, and all these excuses ran through my head about, oh, it's too much. We can't afford that. The Holy Spirit knows the season of life that we're in. We're young. We're newly married. We have kids. You know, we can't do this, right? But then what I did, like any good husband, I nodded in agreement, and I said, okay, let's give that. We're going to talk about this later. But let's give that. <laughs> and you know what? It hurt. It did. It hurt so good, though, because it actually hurt a part of me that withholds. And it hurt a part of me that is always afraid to lose. God, God's challenging me on that. He is. He's challenging me on that. There's a part of me that's always withholding. There's a part of me that's always looking for a deal. And, and Holy Spirit's like, enough. You will be generous. And it was a God moment because that money that we gave that missionary, who knows? I don't know. But it could have been used to help hundreds of people hear about the love of God. Come on. That's a financial example. But what does it mean for you today to give more? To not give a little, but to give a lot. Someone you know may deserve very little or nothing from you, but God is saying give more. He's saying give more patience, give more forgiveness, give more understanding, give more time, more effort, more gratitude, more resources, more support, give more, come on. And I need you to hear me on this, but there's actually no miracle being expressed through your life when your attitude is I'm only gonna give a little. There is no miracle being expressed through you when your attitude is, I will give them what they deserve. That is not miraculous. That is not supernatural. God didn't give us what he deserved, did he? The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Wow, wow. He didn't give a little, he gave a lot. He gave it, he gave it all, come on. Peter and John prayed in Jesus' name. Strength comes back to this man's legs. They pull him to his feet again. I was thinking about the fact that they pulled him to his feet again. You know that's actually an act of giving more? Sometimes as Christians, when we're praying for needs, we're like, great, I'll pray for you. And God is saying, no, you're not just gonna pray. You're actually gonna reach out your hand and you're gonna take their hand and you're gonna pull them back to their feet again. That is an act of giving more. Come on, church, come on. It's a greater response. Now for the last part of my message, I wanna shift the focus to the beggar. We've talked a lot about Peter and John, how they were ready, how they responded, they gave more than this crippled man ever dreamed as possible, and what were the results? The results were miraculous, amazing. Can you imagine being lame from birth? Suddenly somebody prays for you, they pull you up, you're walking, you're jumping, you're praising God, 
Can't imagine the joy and the thankfulness. We want to hear more stories like that in our church all the time. But for that to happen, I believe that there's going to be a responsibility, not just for the person who's giving, but for the person who's getting. There's going to be a responsibility for the person who is receiving. I want to talk about the beggar in closing. So we can figure out a lot about the beggar in this story. Verse 2 says that he was lame from birth. Hmm. He was lame from birth. And as I thought about that, sometimes we encounter people in our lives, and they've been struggling with things that they have struggled with their entire lives. They were born into a poor family, into an abusive family. Maybe they didn't even have a family, but their struggle is deep, and it's lasted a lifetime. Deep struggle since they were a child. Verse 2 also said that the crippled man had friends. There were people who were caring for him, obviously, but they carried him to this gate that was called Beautiful. I looked up this gate, and it was. It was the beautiful gate among the other gates going to the temple. And I think that this beggar was business savvy. I think he was a business savvy beggar because he wasn't just at any gate. He was at the beautiful gate. Wow. Where there are more people going in and more opportunities to make money. And I thought about that. And it's incredible to me how determined people can be when they need to survive. They come up with ways of getting by despite their misfortunes. They find out where to go. They learn who to talk to. They do whatever they can to go another day. How many of you know that there's a real desperation that comes when life gets difficult? Oh, man, you get desperate, very desperate. And as much as you're desperate, there's still kind of this lingering sense of feeling defeated because you're desperate for help, but you're not sure that anybody will help, but you need help. So you're desperate and you're defeated all at the same time. You call out to people, but you're not sure that people will respond. Verse 4 says that the beggar was calling out and yet not making eye contact. At least it's suggested. It says that Peter and John look at him intently, but the man didn't look back, at least until Peter said, Hey, look at us. Why didn't the man give him his full attention? I don't think the man gave him his full attention because he was expecting rejection. He was expecting it. And some people in our community and in our region, maybe even in the auditorium this morning, you're used to being told no. You're used to being told not good enough. Or you're used to being told you must be where you are because you deserve it. And so naturally what happens when people who are hurt hear those things, they start believing those things, all those negative things that are spoken about them, and maybe even subconsciously they embrace them, and they say, yeah, that's true about me. I'm broken, I'm poor, I'm destitute, I'm hopeless, I'll never be significant, I will only ever just survive, and even then, maybe not. Maybe I won't survive. But the amazing thing about God is that he wants to pull us up from that place. God wants to pull us up from that place. And he may even bring somebody who's willing to give a lot, not just a little, but then if you identify with brokenness and hurt and need this morning, you need to be able to receive a lot, not just a little. More than just a few dollars to get you through your day, but a miracle that will change everything. Amen? And so you've heard it said, don't give a little when you know you can give a lot. Don't expect a little when God wants to give you a lot. 
Don't expect a little when God wants to give you a lot. Break that cycle, break that pattern. That doesn't have to be you anymore if you identify with the beggar. Believe God for more, believe him for better. The last point of my message today is embrace life as a believer, not a beggar. Embrace the believing life, not the begging life. And church, I'm not saying that we don't have beggars in our culture, we do have beggars in our culture, but this point relates to all of us on some level this morning. Because for many of us who are here, our brokenness has lasted a lifetime. You have been dealing with things literally since you were a teenager, literally since you experienced that separation, or since you were divorced, or since you were a child and you were abused, and you're carrying stuff. And people have said things, and then you've reinforced those things, and so you're stuck. You're not experiencing the new life, the fresh life that God has for you. And I believe that God wants to speak to those of you in this room who are resonating with that. God doesn't want you just to get by, he wants you to get better. And God doesn't want to make your condition more bearable, God wants to change you. He wants to redeem you. And so stop looking for people and for Holy Spirit to make your condition more tolerable. That's not the point. I'm convinced that the beggar in our story wanted that too, but I think he had lost vision of it, at least until Peter said, look at us. And as I read that, look at us, I just felt Peter was saying, look up, look up, look toward heaven. God has more, he has more, do you believe it, do you see it? And I wanna imagine myself as the Apostle Peter today, and I wanna say to some of you, don't look to be supported in the condition you're in. Believe God for more. Don't wallow with your head to the ground hoping that people will feel sorry for you. Beggars hang their heads, believers hold their heads high. And so lift your head up, look up, look up and say, God, I know that you are going to come through for me. I will get through this situation that I am going through. And as I think about that uh, in my work in ministry as a pastor, I have seen some people who have gone through some terrible stuff. I mean brutal, just, just about a week ago, somebody told me a story in my office, and it blew me away. Terrible situation that they have gone through, earth shattering. And you know, I've seen people succumb to that and say, I give up. Somebody else is gonna have to come and fix this for me. In fact, pastor, would you help me fix this? But on the other hand, I've seen people who are so much stronger than me I love meeting with those people, people who are so much stronger than me, who have said, God is good. God is good. I know that he's gonna heal me. It could take years, it might even take decades, but I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna persevere, and I'm gonna press on, and I'm gonna do what I can do while I wait for God to do what only he can do. And some of those people are still waiting. They are. They're still praying, but they have an undivided, singular focus. And some of them aren't even asking for handouts. It's amazing, but they're serving. It's amazing when you can be so empty and so hurt and so broken, and you're just like, God is gonna come through for me, and I'm not just gonna ask, I'm actually gonna give. I'm gonna help other people. Those people inspire me. I feel so moved in my heart when I talk to people like that. I believe that God's heart is moved by their faith and that a miracle is coming. You know, some of those people are on their feet again. This is the exciting part, hey? Some of those people are on their feet again and they're not just walking, they're running, they're jumping, they're singing praise to God and they're saying, that used to be me. 
I used to be sick. I used to be financially ruined. I used to be depressed. I used to have panic attacks. I used to, I used to, but look what the Lord has done. And they're running and they're jumping and they're praising. We're gonna pray in just a moment, but can I tell you what happens when people tune into God moments? Whether that's the you filling a need or you receiving a need. (sighs) When people live ready, when they give a lot, and when they believe God, people come to find their way home. They find their way home. That's actually the vision of our church. The Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God. And our text said, the crippled man went with them into the temple. (laughs) Walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Man, this guy sat outside the temple courts for years. But when he had a God moment, a God encounter, he got up and he went inside with Peter and John. There are people all around you who are crippled by life circumstances, and they need you to pay attention. They need you to allow the power that's within you to flow through you, to touch them, and then you, you, your responsibility doesn't end there. You need to walk with them into the temple. How many hurting and broken people do we have in our community? How many people need a home? And so in closing, I want to pray for just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our church today. Hallelujah. You know, very often we believe that a God moment is when God shows up, but I felt God saying, no, a God moment is when you show up. (laughs) A God moment is when you show up, because God is at work in multiple moments throughout our day, and I just could imagine him sitting with the angels going, I wonder if he's going to catch that. I wonder if he's going to notice that. I wonder if she's going to give, if she's going to serve, if she's going to help. And so the call in closing is not, God, we need a God moment. Would you show up, God? Church, show up to what God is placing right in front of you. Show up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'll invite uh, Amy to come. And so I want to ask you, how many of you relate with Peter and John this morning? You're busy You're on your way, you're going places, but you're saying this morning, God, help me to be ready to respond at a moment's notice. Help me to give. And not in a worldly, here's a few bucks, you know, here's a few dollars, hope you feel better kind of way, but I'm talking a kingdom of God, power encounter, Holy Spirit inspired kind of way. Is there any of you that say yes? Lord, awaken me to those moments because the world needs to encounter you and so use me for somebody else's miracle. Anybody that just says, yeah, yeah, hallelujah. God, use me when I'm busy, when I'm preoccupied, when I'm on my phone. (laughs) God, use me. Hallelujah, so many hands going up. How many of you relate with the crippled man this morning? And I'm just gonna encourage you, I'm gonna challenge you to be vulnerable. But you've been hurt, and you've been hurt real bad. And it has been such a challenge to hold your head high. But you're saying, God, help me to believe. Help me to trust again. Help me to have faith that you will do more than I can ask, think, or imagine. I've been hanging my head because it's literally been that difficult. But the call for you is hold your head high. Hold your head high and say, Holy Spirit, I believe that you're going to come through for me. 
Is there anybody that would say, yeah, that's me. It's been that challenging. Yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so God, I just bless your church today in Jesus' name.